You are listening to the Sunday Sermon from Sunday, February 9th on Heart and Passion, the H in Shape. For more information about Paragon Church, please visit paragonchurch.com. What if? What if? How many times have you asked that question of yourself? What if? What if I were different? What if I were more like Jesus? What if, being Valentine's Day week, I understood what love was, and not just understood what love was, but lived and loved that way unconditionally? What if I gave sacrificially of myself? What if I cared for people selflessly? What if it was more than just talk on a Sunday morning? And what if it was action in my life? What if I became more like Jesus? What if is a question that we ask, and the answer to the what if is that the world would be changed. At least our worlds, right? At least the worlds that we live in would be changed if we were different. And I'll be honest with you, for the last 10 years, eight weeks from now, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary, but for the last 10 years, we have at Paragon Church had the slogan of, come as you are, be changed, go change the world. And that is a burning desire in my heart to see people's lives change that they can affect the community that they're in. Whether it's the community they have at school or the community they have at work or the community they have in their neighborhood, whatever it might be. What if we were okay with being changed and going to change the world? What would happen? In our lives? What would happen in the lives of others if this were the case? And I think the bigger question, even bigger than what if, is one that we asked a couple of weeks ago, and that is why. Why? Why be changed? Why go change the world? Why be changed? Why go change the world? Because if you really think about it, when we say why be changed, well, change means I have to change from who I am right now, and I'm doing pretty good with who I am right now. My life is easy, it's comfortable. I don't have to take any major steps. Change is hard. Change is time-consuming. Change is going to need me to sacrifice in certain areas. Why be changed? Then take it to the next step. Why change the world? Guess what? Nothing is going to change the mess that we live in. So why should I even try? Why should I even try? Why should I go about living my life in a different way when I can just coast through the way I'm doing it and stay under the radar? Why should I even bother being a part of seeing this world be changed? You know, I'm just me, and just me isn't going to get it done anyway, so therefore I'm just going to stay just me. Why? Well, I'll tell you the answer to why. And it's found in what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We said these words, why do we do what we do? And the answer was, because Jesus did what he did. Why be changed? Because Jesus did what he did. Why go change the world? Because Jesus did what he did. And when I think about that and I say that out loud, really, that should be motivation enough. I shouldn't have to come up here and say, hey, guys, we need to do this. We should already be doing it because Jesus did what he did. But because we're human, because we become apathetic a lot lot of times, it needs to happen. We need to be refreshed. We need to continue to go on. But we need to understand what Jesus did and why that's motivation enough. See, God sent his son to die for you and me. If you've been in church your whole life, you've heard this your whole life. And maybe it's become repetitive and maybe it's become something that's just, yeah, we know. 
That's what we go to church for. But stop and think about this. God sent his son to live and to die and rise again for me and for you. That is amazing, great news. And he saved us for more than just going to heaven. He has saved us because he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to have us closer to him. He wants to change us into who he wants us to be. He wants us to serve him and do what he's commanded us to do, to go and change the world. He truly is shaping us. He is truly shaping us into who he wants us to be. And if you were here last week, you know Keith started us off with shape. And the shape is the spiritual gifts. And God has given you those spiritual gifts to move you closer to him. He's given you a heart or passion, a heart and passion to move you closer to him, to really drive that desire, motivate you to be more like him. He's given you abilities to see that heart and passion play itself out. He's given you a personality so you can connect with certain people in that spiritual gifts and in the heart and passion and in the abilities. And then he's given you experiences to pull your story together, to make you who he wants you to be. That is why we're going through this shape. That is why it is so important for you and I to to go through that shape test, even if you've already done it, just to see how God is shaping you and molding you and the things that he has for you. And as Keith started out with spiritual gifts last week, like I said, I hope you had a chance to take a test online. If you haven't yet, take it, freeshapetest.com. Or we have the printed versions out there if you're not a computer person. And take it and see the shape. And as he talks about spiritual gifts, we're shifting today into heart and passion. And it's funny because when I was talking with Keith, I said, hey, let's kind of break this up because Keith is really good at, at the shape and he's done the workshops and things. He said, I think you need to do heart and passion. And I said, I'm happy to do heart and passion because I'll tell you what, I have a passion for seeing lives change. And I believe the way God is shaping us and even using this is going to see that happen. The funny thing is, the coincidental thing is, heart and passion we're talking about today, well, you know what this week is? Valentine's Day week. So you're going to hear a lot about heart and passion this week. You're talking about love. You're talking about passionate, romantic heart and passion. Also, coincidentally, we're coming off of a full of heart, full of passion week that's outside of that, on the flip side of the romance part of it all. See, we had a Super Bowl win last week with the Kansas City Chiefs. And at the end of the game, you heard their heart and their passion. And then during their parade, you heard their heart and their passion about wanting and the things they had strived for. The great thing is I heard so many testimonies about, hey, it's all for the glory of God. I'm like, that's exactly what I want to hear. Use that testimony. Use that platform for his glory and his honor. But then you also maybe saw a State of the Union address. You saw heart and passion there. And you saw heart and passion in a rebuttal from two different sides that had two different hearts and two different passions. Then you saw maybe the Democratic primaries that were going on. And you heard heart and passion in the midst of all of that. And maybe uh, this week we went up to Santa Fe because uh, Maylie got to sing in, the, uh, in that rotunda thing there in the middle. She, she was part of a, a choir and they were doing all that. But beforehand, you just saw all these tables set up with all these people that have heart and passion for what needs to take place in the state of New Mexico. It's just thing after thing after thing. And sometimes we have heart and passion to change the world for the better. And sometimes we have heart and passion that isn't going to change the world for the better. 
But it's the heart and the passion that is there. And, and, you know, one of the great things is, is I believe that God has given this heart and passion to drive our desire to be like him. Not just drive our desire, but motivate us to fulfill the purpose for our lives. To fulfill the purpose for our lives. And, and, you know, here's the thing that I think that as I say that, we need to stop and think about for just a second. Because I say, he's given us passion to fulfill our purpose. We maybe need to define those two words before we go any further. Because I've talked a lot about heart. I've talked a lot about passion. Now I'm talking about purpose. But what are they? And how do they tie together? Well, first of all, the first word, purpose. Purpose is your head. Purpose is our understanding of why we are here. And not just here, but here. Why do I exist? Why was I created? And as a Christian, you can even say a more focused question, why did God create me for him? What purpose does he have in all of that? How is he going to use me for his glory and his honor? Then you jump to passion. And passion moves from head to heart. And in that, the dictionary says that passion is zeal, fervency, or enthusiasm. Basically, it's the internal fire that motivates us and drives us to fulfill the purpose of why we are here. So for us to actually talk about God using our heart and passion to shape us, I really think we need to be able to look at the purpose for your life. And maybe you've asked that question before. God, what is the purpose of my life? God, why do I even exist? God, do I really matter? And would anybody miss me if I were gone tomorrow? It's a real question that lots of people struggle with. It's a real question to say, does my life even matter? See, if you're like me, you know you only get one life. You only get one shot to feel truly alive. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. Where is that abundant life? Where is it in me? How do I live it out with heart and passion? And see, I think a lot of people struggle with their purpose on why they exist because most people feel lost or drifting or really have no idea where they are going. I think their lives are in this constant limbo, this constant flux back and forth. As a matter of fact, I think the best way to describe that life is like this. It's like a person who walks in to see a movie about their life, but they walked in 20 minutes late. They have no idea how the character was developed. They don't know what's going on right now, and they definitely don't know how it's going to end. We hang out in that in our lives, and that's not a good place to be. And I'm hoping today as we dive into God's Word, it'll give you some clarity on purpose So as it gives you that clarity on purpose, it'll show you how your passions tie into it. So can you do me a favor? Can you open to the book of Colossians for me today? The book of Colossians. And if you're wondering where it's at, it's in the the New Testament. It's in the epistles there. It's it's in letters that Paul wrote. And the best way for you to kind of see if you hit Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, it's God eats pork chops. And so uh, the best way for you to find it, so if you find one of those, you'll know you're in the general area to get there. So as you're looking up Colossians, I just want to give you the most simple overview that I possibly can for the book of Colossians and why it was written. 
See, Paul was writing to the church at Colossae. And as he wrote to the church at Colossae, they were struggling with outside influences, false teachers saying that Jesus wasn't enough, that Jesus wasn't God. So the letter of Colossians basically summed up in two phrases is this, is that Christ is supreme in everything and Christ is sufficient for everyone. Christ is supreme in everything and Christ is sufficient for everyone. And you might think, well, how does that have to do anything with my purpose? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's read together, shall we? Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. If you have titles in your Bible, it says the centrality of Christ as the title in mine. This is what it says. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether the thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things have been created. Not just by him, as it said in verse 16, but through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He also is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, I'm not sure if you got it. As I was reading this passage, the answer to the question, what is my purpose? Why do I exist? Well, according to Colossians 1.16, we are here because we were made by Jesus. We are made by Jesus By him, through him, and for him. By him, through him, and for him. See, Jesus is first place over everything. Jesus is first place over everything. We have been saved, and we are in the process of coming to this full understanding that Jesus has first place in everything, and in everything would be where? My life and your life. My life is for him. My life is through him. My life is by him. And as we continue to look at that, we begin to understand that that means all praise, all honor, and all glory, and all applause, and all everything belongs to him and not to me. See, my life is not my own. I don't live it for me. I live it for him, at least in theory. Unfortunately, I battle with that on a constant basis, and my guess is as you do too. And we begin to look at that. We begin to see that we are no longer our own. We are being transformed by the time at salvation and every day after that. He is sanctifying us. He is changing us to be more like him. He is helping us grasp that concept. Because inside in ourselves, we're rebellious against that. We want to be the one on the throne. We want to be the Lord. But when we confess Jesus is Lord, it begins to change. So if you want the answer to the purpose of your life, you want the simplest one I can give you, it is this. It is to know Christ and to make him known. To know Christ and to make him known. See, when we understand that we are by him and for him, it clicks. That we need to know him and we need to have a relationship with him. And as a result of being made by him and for him and having a relationship with him, we know our lives are different. My guess is if you were married, if you're in a dating relationship, 
If you've been in a dating relationship before, you understand this, that your life changes because it's not your own anymore. Now there are two of you. And you start to think differently. You start to act differently. What the same thing is we're in this relationship with Christ. It clicks that we know our lives aren't on our own anymore, and our lives are all about making him known. See, this is the big picture. This is the picture frame in which we live. This is what we are here for, not for us, not for our glory, not for our honor, but all for God's. And when we begin to realize that and we begin to live that out, we see it even in our shape, our spiritual gifts, not for us for his glory. Our heart and our passion, not for us, but for his glory. Our abilities, not for us, but for his glory. Our personality even. Even the most sarcastic, witty person in the room that drives everybody else crazy. Not for us, but for his glory. Our experiences, the things you've gone through in life, whether highs or lows, not for us, but for his glory. We begin to see that. And here's the thing. When we see it, we realize that is why we are here. Not for us, but for his glory. But what? That's the next question, isn't it? What am I supposed to do now that I know my purpose? And even more so, how? How am I supposed to do it? Glad you asked. Flip over two chapters from Colossians 1 to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, says these words as Paul answers that question. Therefore, Talked about it last week, talked about it again this week. Therefore, we have to figure out what it's there for. Well, it's pointing back to the fact that Christ is who he says he is, and he's done what he says he's going to do. You are who you are. Therefore, this is it, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. The what is right here. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. In all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And then verse 17, the how. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there's so much in this passage. The what? Put on. Put on. It shows that this is what we're going to do. You put on the compassion. You put on the love. You put on the forgiveness. And we're going to do it not just for inside the church or inside on Sunday mornings, but we're going to do it because this is what we're going to wear to the outside world so they can see the glory of God. Because it's not our life. It's His. And it's not just what's supposed to happen on Sunday. It's forever because we are made by Him and for Him. Once again, therefore, And then the how, found up in the wrap-up of verse 17, and really is so huge. And I want to read it again, and I really want to focus on those first four words. The first four words say, and whatever you do. Whatever you do, and that is a big, wide statement, because whatever you do is whatever you do. So we have this big, broad, wide statement, and it says, in word or in deed, 
do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, that kind of takes that big statement and it narrows it down a little bit. Do everything that you do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul is saying, now that you know your purpose, you know your purpose is to glorify God. And as God is shaping you, he's given you heart. He's given you passion to motivate and accomplish and drive you to fulfill that purpose of glorifying him. And then you know what he says next? He says, I want you to take those passions and I want you to do them. I want you to take those passions and I want you to do them, but not for your glory. Instead, do it for God's glory, giving thanks to the Father through him and do it for the greatest purpose that we've ever been called to. So I want to take a second now as we see that and refer back to something Keith talks about just a little bit last week. See, if you were here last week, he talks about spiritual gifts, and he walked through the book of Romans, and he took the first 11 chapters of Romans and kind of condensed them down to four verses found in the Romans road. And he said, the first 11 verses are theology, a study of God, who God is. And then chapter 12 on is our response. But I want you to see even in that how Paul wraps up this, this is who God is, Let's thank him for it. See, the last four verses of chapter 11, before we get to our response, say these things. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. And then he throws these questions out there. And by the way, excuse me, by the way, these are rhetorical questions. Because we don't need to answer them. We know the answers already. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Has God ever sat on your couch and said, let me just share my heart. I need you to walk me through this. No, he, he doesn't need that. We need that from him. He doesn't need that from us. Then the next question, and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? I could give everything to God of mine, my life and my all, as the song talks about, and it still wouldn't be enough. He doesn't owe me anything. For from him and through him and to him are all things. What's that sound like? Sounds like what we just read in Colossians, doesn't it? Paul's reminding a different church of the same thing. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Here's what we need to understand. The from him. That means all things are created by him. He is the source, which means I am created by God. I didn't just magically or by chance end up on the scene. I was created with a purpose. And guess what? The same goes for you. We were created with a purpose. We are created, and we've already established that as we've seen it. Second is through him. He isn't just the source of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. He is a sustainer of all things. When it says, I am in this life by God and through God, it means that he gives me breath. He could take my breath away right now, and boom, I fall off the stage. It's all done. I have no control over that. None whatsoever. As a matter of fact, last night, crazy thing, okay? About 3.45 in the morning, Levi decided he was going to swing in his swing in his room and bang off the walls. So I said, all right, I got to go upstairs to take care of that. And I did, and I came down, but Glory was in, in a crib in our room, and she's she's... I don't know, congested or something along, but we haven't got all the doctor's appointments settled and, and scheduled yet for all the things, but sometimes they have sleep apnea and things like that. Um, but she was breathing like, huh, 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 huh. 
Well, if you hear that and you're laying there in bed, you're not like, I'm just going to go back to sleep because everything's fine. Because that's not normal. There's nothing normal about that. And so I literally laid awake from 3.45 to 5 o'clock going, should I wake Christy up and see what's going on here? Should I? Nope, she's still breathing. She's still, is she? <gasps> okay, yes, she is. And it was this constant all night. And I sat there going, at any point in time, I have zero control over that. I can lay here and worry about it, but there's nothing I can honestly do about it. And she probably does it all the time when I'm sleeping. I just don't know it. And so as I began to think about that, and, and I started thinking about even this, every breath I take, every action that I make, I know some of you just had the police song go through your head, but <laughs> everything that I do, all the grace that I have is because of him. It's not because of me. He is the great sustainer. So from him and through him and then to him, everything exists for God's purpose. Everything. Everything exists. They all reflect glory back to God. Nothing exists that doesn't serve his great plan. Did you know that? Isn't that just an amazing thought to think about? Doesn't he give you a little bit more comfort that you're really not in control? That he's got it all figured out? And we just need to live for him? I am to God. My everything belongs to him. See, this is God's universe. And I'm just a pawn right in the middle of it. I'm just a, a piece of the puzzle. And that's why the next word that, that Keith talked about last week in chapter 12, verse 1, is so huge. Therefore. Therefore. Because of God's amazingness, because of all that God has done, because everything is from him and through him and to him, this is what you need to do in view of the mercies of God. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to change your thinking. God has to change your thinking so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Those last words right there kind of tie into everything else. I'm not sure. If you ever grew up in the church, you probably heard a sermon of, what is God's will for my life? That was a big thing. That was a big draw. If I ever wanted to get a bunch of high schoolers together, a bunch of college kids together, it was, let's talk about what God's will for your life is because they were very concerned about who they were going to marry or where they were going to go to school or what kind of job they were going to have and all of these things. And really, those are small things within the big picture because God's will for your life is for your mind to be renewed and realize that our purpose is because we are created to give him glory. That is the big picture. It's all about him, not about us. And as I can say, we can live within this picture frame about being all about him. We can do whatever we want, the passion that he's put inside of us, and we do it for the glory of God. See, it's not about what we do or where our passions lie. It's about how and why we do it. The questions we have to ask ourselves is what we do for God's glory or for our glory. See, man, I'll tell you, Craig Rochelle, pastor up at uh, Life Church over here. Well, he's not the he's a pastor of that church there at Oklahoma City, but they have that one over there. I'll never forget. I went to a conference one time and he was speaking at it. One of the things he said is this. He goes telling leaders. He said, "You know, sometimes we get really excited about high attendance numbers and then really disappointed about low attendance numbers. When we give God the glory for the high attendance numbers and then we take the blame on ourselves for the low attendance numbers." 
And I thought about that. I'm like, yeah, that's right. He goes, but it's not. You can give God the glory for the low attendance numbers too. It's all about him. It's all in that big picture frame. It's not about what we do or what we don't do. It's about where our passion lies. Is it for our glory or is it for God's? So whatever we're going to do, we just need to get the purpose right. And then we chase our passion. There's a guy by the name of A.W. Tozer, old dead guy, pastor, theologian. He wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. This is what he writes. It's not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It's why he does it. The motive is everything. Let a man sanctify, which means to set apart, the Lord God in his heart, and he can thereafter do no common act. When you make God the priority, no act you have is common. It's now uncommon because you're giving God the glory, which is completely uncommon in this world today. Why are you here to bring glory to God? How do you do that? Well, in every action of your life, especially the things that you're passionate about, you do it for God. You give him the glory because he deserves it. It's really that simple. So do what you do so people see God and not you. How do we do that? Well, we do what we're passionate about. For him, the passion he's given us. And guess what? If people can't see God in what you are doing, because maybe it's very self-centered, maybe it's shady, maybe it's immoral, maybe it's unethical, and maybe quite possibly it's illegal, maybe you should stop doing that and switch those passions towards something that is passionate towards God. Do what you are passionate about all for the glory of God, which really leads us to the last question that we'll wrap up with, and that is this. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? See, we've talked about how God is shaping us in this unique way. He's given you different spiritual gifts than he's given me. He's given you different passions than he's given me. What are you passionate about? And I think the best way to answer that question is with four other questions. The four other questions is this. What is the first thing? What's keep you up at night? What keeps you up at night? What is that thing that gets you up in the morning that you don't have to hit snooze? What is the thing that moves you? What stirs emotions you like anger and joy and excitement and passion? See, I can say what keeps you up at night. If I didn't go any further, you'd be like, well, the meatballs I ate last night kept me up at night. That's not exactly it unless you're passionate about food. I don't know. But what is it that keeps you up at night? See, civil rights leader and theologian, there's a guy by the name of Howard Thurman. He wrote these words. He said, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Have you come alive? Have you experienced the life abundant that God has provided through Jesus Christ? I mean, it's so true that we just need to come alive and we could change this world. Come alive in him. Uh, the book of Revelation, the very first church that is written to, he says, guys, I have one complaint. You've done so many things right, but I have one complaint. You know what that one complaint was? You've lost your first love. You've forgotten why we're doing this in the first place. We're doing it because Jesus did what he did. And it's continuing to do what he's doing. He ignites that passion in us. He came to give us life. See, Keith used last week 
the message commentary a handful of times because Eugene Peterson does a great job of just really pointing out some things. And there's a verse that we use oftentimes, and it's Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. It's the, the, the part where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And on top of that, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in the message commentary, he writes just a little bit different. I want to share with you what it says. It says, love the Lord, or the Lord your God is one. So love the Lord God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. Love him with all your passion. See, life is a mission. I'm not sure if any of you have ever seen it, but there's words over the top of that door. It says you are now entering your mission field. Second, you walk out that door, you're entering a mission field. You can go to Vietnam with Bill and Sally in July or in June, but just the same tomorrow, you're going to be at school or a workplace in your neighborhood, at Walmart, sitting at Chili's. That's all a mission field. And if we're living our lives with the passion that he's given us for his glory, we are going to change this world that we touch and we affect. Life is a mission. Do it with God's passion. So the first question was, what keeps you up at night? Second question is, what are you best at? Or what are you good at? See, we're going to talk about abilities in a couple of weeks as we break down shape. But I want to point out, there are some people in here who find joy in doing things that they're good at. And some of you are even great at it. Maybe it's cooking or baking. We have been so blessed by the church and even more so people outside the church that have brought meals to the family. And I know some of you have been on the meal train, whether through sickness or babies being born or, or surgeries or whatever the case might be, and you've been blessed by that too. Food is a good thing. And it's a great thing when somebody else brings us so you don't have to take time to make it. And what a blessing it is for some of you who are like, I really like chopping carrots, and I really like chopping celery, and I, really, this is, I like this. I'm getting excited about this. Good. Maybe it's something along the lines of teaching. Maybe it's singing. Maybe it's hosting people in your house. Maybe it's encouraging, and I'm not sure if you're catching this, but some of those are spiritual gifts as well. See, God kind of weaves all this together to make you who you are, you. But he wants us to use it. And he wants you to find the passion of what you are good at. Third question, what do other people affirm in your life? What do other people affirm in your life? We need to ask this question because the crazy thing is, is other people generally see your passion before you do. They see your spiritual gifts before you do. They see what you're called to before you do. When I was in high school, there was a group of ladies that were friends with my mom that said, someday you're going to be a pastor. And I went, <laughs> Uh -uh. I'm the kid who sits in the pew while the pastor's preaching, and I take out the hymnal, and I add in the bathroom to the end of every one of the hymn songs, okay? I can say that here because we don't have hymnals, and you can't do it. But if you go to a church sometime, and they have hymnals, do it sometime. You're like, oh, that's funny right there. You know, the, there's different ones in there, Amazing Grace in the bathroom. It's just, it, it's, it just changes the whole meaning of the song. But that was me. That's what I did. I didn't care that much about being there. I was more there for hanging out with my friends than I was about being a pastor. As a matter of fact, even when I went to school, I was just going to be a teacher of junior high kids. I have my teaching degree. My, my degree is in elementary education with a junior high emphasis. That's where my degree's at. 
That's why I talk to you at sixth grade level in here. So some of you guys are like, thank you. I understand you better because of that. But the, the reality is, is people kept saying, this is what you're going to be. As a matter of fact, when Christy and I started dating, she actually said, well, I have some criteria. And one of them is I want to marry somebody who wants to be a pastor. I'm like, well, strike three. We probably shouldn't be doing this anymore. And then God just, you know, worked on me, changed me, pointed me in the direction of ministry, and here I am, 20-something years later. God knew. People outside knew. They affirmed it. I tried to deny it. What are people affirming in your life? The last thing, and probably one of the biggest questions, what are you willing to sacrifice for? What is the thing that matters the most and you're willing to give your all to do? What is the thing that, that you are willing to go all in for, no matter the cost of time, no matter the cost of money, no matter the cost of energy? The answer will put a spotlight on what you're passionate about. What is the thing you're willing to do that? And really, even with that, there's one last thing I want to t- tie in here, and that is this, that the heart and the passion, they're relational. It's always relationship-based, a relationship with a person, a relationship with a thing, or a relationship with a cause. And we're connected to what we are passionate about, about being relational. We understand things. If I asked you who your favorite sports team was, if you're a sports person, my guess is you could tell me about your sports team and the players that are on it and the stats they have and the wins and losses they had and all of the things. And you get up when they lose and you bang the table because they shouldn't have lost. And when you get up when they win, you're like, yeah! You know, all of that is passionate because you are related to that team. Whether they know it or not, it's totally different, but you know it. Same thing with a band. If you're big into music, you understand that. Same thing with technology. That's why people line up every time iPhone comes out and they line up around the building just pay way, way too much money on a phone. But they're passionate about that technology and they have to have the next thing. And they talk about it and they read the blogs and they read the leaked stuff that happens before the phone's ever released. And they want to know all the details. We're passionately connected. But see, that passionate connection is more than just a feeling. It leads to an action. It leads to an action, and that action is driven and motivates us to fulfill that purpose. So when you find that passion, see, God-given passion is going to increase your willpower. It's going to overcome those excuses. The excuse of, why should I change? Why should I go change the world? Those aren't even going to be things that you're even going to question because that passion is say, I want to change, and I want to see the world around me change. A God-given passion will give you the ability to look past the impossible and think it might actually be possible. Overcome our doubts. A God-given passion moves us towards God. Because you know what happens in a God-given passion? We begin to realize it's not about us. And we begin to realize that we can't do it on our own, that we need Him in it all. We're less reliant on ourselves and more on God. And the last two things is a God-given passion will change you. It will change the way you see the world. It will change the way you respond to the world. It will change the way that you act in your own life. And it will change the way that you live. Not only just change you, but it will change the world through you. Think about the most passionate person that you know. What is it they're passionate about? And I bet you know because it oozes from them. It literally bleeds from them. Who's the most passionate person that you know? And how has it changed them? And even more so, how's it changed you because of the way they speak and the way they act about it? As we wrap it up, 
the questions are out there. The purpose of your life is out there while we are here to glorify God with our lives. What is your passion? What is that internal fire that motivates you to fulfill that purpose in your life? That's up for you to decide. And then how to use it is even more for you to decide. I can't tell you, hey, since you have this passion, this is what you should do. You've got to listen to God and then go with it. What is God calling you to do? Not because you have to, but because you want to for his glory and his honor. What step, as we talk about next steps, is he wanting you to take for him to move you closer to him? Those are the questions I'm going to leave with you this morning as we pray. Father, thank you for today. And thank you for who you are. And thank you for what you are doing and the way that you continue to love us and the way you continue to guide us and the way you continue to direct us. And God, especially the fact that you're patient with us. Because there's oftentimes I feel like that guy that has walked in 20 minutes late to my own movie. Not knowing how it began, not knowing the character development, not knowing where I am right now, and definitely not knowing where it's going to end up at. But God, you're patient. Because you spelled it all out in your word. Why I'm here for your glory and your honor. Why I exist to lift you up and to praise you. And how am I going to do that with the shape that you're making me? With the spiritual gifts, with the heart and the passion, with the abilities, with the personality, and even with the experiences. And God, I know that's the same for every person in this room. As we continue to walk through shape, I pray that you speak to us about who we are, and even more so whose we are and how we we should respond in kind. We pray in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in the front. I would love to talk to you, maybe about where your passions lie, about something you want to do, uh, or maybe you're just struggling with not being passionate. Maybe you're like, meh. You're the meh in the emoji movie. That's just who you are. There, there's nothing else to it. I, I don't have any passion. Let's, let's pray about where God can point you, and, and let's answer those four questions about what keeps you up at night and, and how God can use that for his glory and his honor. I'll be down here in the front as we sing this last song. Well,